Hey, if you're a guest or a visitor with us today, you may have figured out that we're actually working our way uh, through Jesus' most famous sermon. It's a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, um, we've said every week that the backdrop or the context for the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of God. Really important to remember that um, because it helps us in the sermon kind of... uh, you know, feel out some additional things that Jesus is getting to. And then last week, Jesus made an incredible statement. He said, look, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So what Jesus was saying was, look, I didn't come to, uh, to destroy the law. I came to bring the law to a designated end. Now, why would he have had to say that? Well, because of uh, things like he's saying today, because it would have sounded to his audience like that was exactly what he had come to do. And the reason this is so important is the law could only focus on a person's behavior, what they do or what they don't do. But in the kingdom of God, what matters is a person's heart. See, it goes way deeper than just a person's behavior. And something else that's very important to understand about the kingdom of God, relationships are at the epicenter of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Relationships are the priority. Relationships are uh, are at the center of everything that's supposed to happen in the kingdom. So every command that Jesus is going to give in this sermon is pointed toward elevating the value of relationships or helping people be in better relationships. So the heart and relationships are at the epicenter of the kingdom of God. And so today, Jesus is going to start with something that's toxic both to our hearts and to relationships And that's anger. Anger that is buried or neglected or ignored or left alone. And so I want to start this sermon this way today. I want to start with good news. If you walked through our doors this morning angry, you don't have to live that way anymore. If you find that sometimes your anger just boils over and gets ahead of you. Our Jesus has better and wants better than that for you. You don't have to stay tethered to that because Jesus wants to do a work, not just on your behavior, but on your heart. And because we said last week that life can be hard on the heart, and so one of the symptoms of that is anger. We get angry when life is hard on our hearts, right? Uh, Now listen, a couple of things to say. Anger is something that all of us struggle with, including me. If you were to visit my house and see me working on something, it could be anything. If that repair isn't going well, if it's already taking longer than I would like or cost me more money than I would like, and then say a wrench slips and I accidentally bash a finger or a knuckle, I've been known to say words in that kind of setting that I would never say in public. Words like darn and gosh and fiddlesticks, you know, words like that. 
Aren't you glad that you know that about me, right? Don't you feel better about me being a pastor in the church? Now listen, I'm not proud of those moments. Those moments, they reveal a kind of immaturity in me and an anger in me that can just come out really, really quickly. And I share that as a reminder that we all get angry. Like this is a 100 percenter sermon, right? This applies to all of us. Even pastors get angry. Even people who spend some time at church get angry. Even people who love Jesus still occasionally get angry. And so this is why I think Jesus talked first and foremost about anger because it is at the intersection of our, it lies at the intersection of our hearts and our relationships. Um, So yeah, so he starts with anger because anger is also at the root of so many of our other struggles in life. So let's get to the words of Jesus, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, so he's saying, hey, here's what you've always heard. Here's what you heard Moses say. But I say, everyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You see, he's he's moved from behavior. In other words, don't just think you're a good person because you've never murdered anybody. That's what he's getting. He's going deeper. He's going to the heart. See, and he says, you know, just look, you've learned to follow a command not to commit murder, but there's still anger and hatred in your hearts. And that's what I came for. I came for all that stuff that dwells in there. Now, a couple things. First of all, this does not mean that all anger is bad. That is not the kind, uh, Jesus is not saying that. So a psychologist say that some anger can actually be good, both for you and for society. Let me give you some examples. So when we see someone harm another person, we can become angry, right? There's an anger that can spring up when we see someone taking advantage of someone else. In that sense, anger is kind of a spontaneous response to a perceived wrong. And so psychologists would actually argue that it's a necessary emotion for the preservation of a loving and a kind society. And we see this in Jesus. We see it throughout his ministry. Jesus himself feels anger when he sees the religious leaders of his day taking advantage of the poor or the sick. He gets angry when he sees a lack of compassion in people for other human beings. Now, the difference, of course, is that Jesus always had a righteous anger and he always handled his anger righteously. That's the difference between you and me. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not talking about just a spontaneous emotional response to wrongdoing. No, he's talking about the kind of anger that turns into a deep resentment for another human being. He is talking about the kind of anger that would turn into contempt for another human being. In fact, the the word that Jesus uses for anger here depicts kind of a pervasive, kind of an ongoing grudge that a person might have against someone else. Maybe a grudge they might hold for days or weeks or months or even, God forbid, years. So just 
Show of hands, my hands up. Anybody here ever held a grudge against somebody else? Yeah, every hand should be up unless you're five years or younger, right? Of course we have. Uh, some of you might have a name or a face in mind, like right now. That's kind of become a part of who you are. And Jesus would say that kind of anger is dangerous and it's damaging. Jesus is talking about the kind of anger that says racha to another human being, to another person. The word racha is an Aramaic word that literally means fool. It's a very uh, coarse word. It's basically like uh, saying only much worse, you freaking idiot. Ever been driving down a road and had someone cut you off, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times in our minds, right, even though we may have trained ourselves not to say it out loud, we still think these kinds of thoughts in our head. Jesus is talking about the kind of anger that says, you fool, to another person. Now, that language is a little antiquated. Honestly, it doesn't sound too harmful. But the modern equivalent of that word, and listen, I considered not even saying this. That, this is how Dallas Willard defines this word. Um, and it's so coarse, I almost considered not even saying it in church, but I, I need us to hear it. It's like saying, you effing jerk. That's what's going on here with that word. See, and I know that, so, uh, so Jesus says, look, that kind of anger, that is damaging and that is dangerous. Like an anger that would cause you to foster a deep resentment of somebody else. An anger that would dismiss the competency of someone else. An anger that would undermine the value of someone else. Anger is a big, big deal for Jesus. He says it is as serious as the most serious sin that there is. And we already know, we've talked about this, it's deadly serious for two reasons. Because it lies at the intersection. It's toxic to your heart and it's toxic to relationships. The two things that are most central to the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, your heart and your relationships are all that matter. So Jesus kind of issues this somber warning. He says that anyone who carries around that kind of anger in their heart is in danger of what Jesus calls hellfire. So what he's saying is that kind of anger can send you to hell. And that kind of anger on its own merit can send you to hell. That's how seriously he is taking this, right? Now, um, in fact, just an, a word of observation, every person in hell will be angry. Every single one of them. Now, so Jesus kind of issues a somber warning. Now, just as an aside, one of the reasons that Christians should believe in hell is because Jesus believed in hell. Uh, yeah, it's just 
real, right? I mean, often Jesus is kind of portrayed as someone who would never offend another person, never call out another person, and nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, today in this message, Jesus is calling you and me out, right? And he's just telling us, look, you are in real danger if you are allowing anger uh, to remain in your heart that would demean others or that would um, demote others or diminish their value. So he offers another way of life, a better way to live, a higher, deeper way to live. Here's what he says. Therefore, If you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your gift. Then he kind of gives a second scenario. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Now, I love that word. We're going to come back to why that word is so important, that word adversary in this verse. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, we're going to unpack all of that so that it makes a lot more uh, sense, but we're going to make three practical observations from these few verses that I just read as it relates to your anger and my anger. Uh, Here's the first observation. Jesus makes deal dealing with your anger, your most important priority. He says, nothing is more important. Whatever used to be the most important thing in your life, that's now number two. Dealing with your anger is, is number one. That is the most important thing. He says, look, if you're offering a gift at the altar and you realize there's a relational issue you need to take care of in your life, leave your gift there and go and tend to that relationship first. So in that day, friends, the most important moment in someone's spiritual life was bringing that gift or sacrifice to the altar. There was nothing more important than that. It was the most important part of anyone's relationship with God, which means that Jesus is literally saying, hey, I don't know what's most important in your spiritual life. It might be Bible study. It might be service. It might be prayer. But if you're in the middle of praying and you remember that there's a relational issue you need to tend to, I want you to stop praying. You think you'd ever hear me say that in church? Don't pray. No, go instead to that person. Maybe it's Bible study for you. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, look, if you're in the middle of studying your Bible, and you realize that there's, you, that there's anger in your heart or someone else's heart toward you, I want you to drop your Bible study, and I want you to go, and I want you to make that relationship right. See? And so, in other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying to you and to me that dealing with our anger is the most important thing. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your to-do list for next week. What is the most important thing on your to-do list for the coming week? Do you have that? That most important thing on your to-do list just became the second most important thing for you to do on your to-do list next week. Dealing with your anger 
takes the prize. It, it just became uh, your primary, uh, you know, mission, right? See, listen, here's what Jesus is saying. He's just saying in no uncertain terms, don't dismiss, hide, conceal, or minimize your anger. It's a big deal, really. Kind of a second observation, not only does Jesus make dealing with our anger the most important priority, but Jesus says, look, don't put off the conversations that you need to have to get rid of your anger. Don't put that off. Don't delay those. He gives the example of a lawsuit, right? And he says, go and settle matters quickly with your adversary. Even before you go to court, don't even let it go that far. Don't let it get that serious. Now, listen, in saying this, Jesus is not saying that we should try to force reconciliation. Here's the reality. Sometimes you'll give it your very best and you will not be able to reconcile every relationship in your life. This is why I love Romans 12 where Paul says, look, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. And, and the reason I love that verse is because it indicates that Paul is aware that sometimes you're going to do everything right. Sometimes you're going to follow all of this instruction to the letter and your heart might be clear, but you're not capable. We're not capable of clearing out someone else's heart, right? So it still may not work. It may not be effective. So he's not saying, I'm trying to force reconciliation. He's certainly not saying we should give in to the demands of an adversary, and he's certainly also not saying that we should put ourselves in harm's way in a relationship. Listen, if you're in a dangerous situation, you need to get out of that relationship and find a safe place. You do. But Jesus is saying that there is nothing more important in your life than reconciled relationships. Not worship, not Bible study, not prayer relationships. And so what he's saying is, look, putting off confrontation, putting off a hard or a candid conversation is a terrible idea because that anger will just lodge itself in your heart and it will pollute your heart and it will pollute all of your relationships. So Jesus just says, look, don't delay those conversations. Don't put them off. Have them sooner rather than later. Now listen, just pastorally, I find that most people will do almost anything to avoid the kind of conversation Jesus is recommending here. They just won't do it. I suspect that, that that's true for two reasons. The first is I think many, many of us have just never seen it done very well. I mean, we've seen it done poorly in our homes. I mean, we've seen it done, you know, with the shouting matches and the shoving and any of the other toxic stuff that we've all witnessed in our homes, right? And so we don't really know how. But it's just as simple as, hey, look, what you said the other day really hurt me. Can we talk about that? Hey, I didn't think what you said the other day was completely fair. Can we, can we have a conversation about that? Those are the kinds of conversations Jesus is saying, look, have those sooner rather than later. And I'll tell you this, here's the second reason I think so many of us just dig our heels in and refuse to have these kinds of conversations because we are terrified of having them. 
And I think Jesus is trying to reframe our fear here. I think what he's trying to say is, look, there is something a lot worse than having a a candid conversation with another human being. And that's something that is a lot worse is carrying around chronic anger in your heart. That's way worse. That's like hellfire worse. Like that's worse by infinity. So have the hard talks. Don't let a fear of having a candid and honest conversation keep you from having them because you could live a lot worse. You could live with a chronic heart condition in a chronically angry state and relationship. And then the third observation, and this one is so important, Jesus says to go directly to your adversary, not to have conversations about your adversary along the way. And sometimes we get this so wrong. He says, look, I want you to go and be reconciled to that person. But often what we want to do as it relates to our adversaries is we want to go to others and talk about our adversary rather than talking to our adversary. So he, he does not say to go to others and talk about your adversary, right? Go, go straight to them and just say, look, what you did or said that was hurtful. Or what you did or what you said, I felt that was unfair. Can we, can we talk about this? But often what we do instead is we choose to go to a third party and we say, can you believe so-and-so would do that to me? And we rehearse all of our offenses with other people, with others, instead of bringing our offenses to our adversary or to the offender. So listen, here, just... just If someone comes to you and they start tearing into another person, the first, the best thing, the first thing you should ask that person is this. Have you talked to that person? Or are you just talking about that person? And I need to say this because Christians are especially good at cloaking our offenses for spiritual reasons. So we'll go to people and say things like this, hey, could you pray for me? You know, because I really need prayer because I'm going to go. You know, we don't even say I'm going to go. We just say because so-and-so they really hurt me or they really offended me and I could just use some prayer. See, that's a cloak. That's a way of spiritualizing our disobedience to Jesus. Or we might say things like this. Hey, I need some advice. I need some counsel. Because so-and-so, you know, they said this or they did this and it made me feel this way. And so I just need to know how I should handle that. No, you don't. You don't need their advice. You know why? Jesus has already told you how to handle that, that relationship, how to handle that thing. You're to go and discuss it with the person who offended you. Because nothing is more important in the kingdom of God than relationships. They matter. Now, it's so interesting to me that Jesus calls someone we are angry with or who is angry with us our adversary. Why would he do that? Well, so in the book of James, 
he talks also about anger, and here's what he said. He said essentially that men and women get angry for one reason and one reason only, that they either aren't getting something that they want or they're not getting something they deserve. So he's saying, look, it's our desires that fuel our anger. In fact, let's look at that together, James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. And then this telling statement, you do not have because you do not ask. So James asks a question here. And the question is, what causes you to fight? But he doesn't wait for an answer. He gives the answer. What causes you to argue? And I'm sure most of us would go, well, we argued because she said that. Or we argued because he did that. And James is saying, no, that's not what your anger is about. Your anger is about you, your desires, what you felt you deserved, what you wanted or didn't want. Your anger has nothing to do with them. See? So, uh, you know, yeah. You know, he's, he's just saying, look, don't you really get into fights and arguments because you didn't get something you thought you wanted or deserved? It's like the woman, um, you know, the wife who really wanted a new sports car. Maybe you've heard this story. But her husband really wanted a truck. So for weeks, they're going round and round. Sports car, truck. And the, more, uh, the, more, the longer this conversation goes on, the more heated the debate gets, the more angry this husband and wife get with one another. And finally, uh, they were just going round and round for, yet the, for like the 19th time, and they just couldn't agree. So the wife got so angry, she finally gives her husband an ultimatum. She says, listen, I want something that will go from 0 to 180 in under four seconds, and it better be here on my birthday. Well, so then she just kind of walks away. So as you can imagine, things are tense, you know, in the house. They're not having a lot of good conversations in the evenings. They're kind of uh, ignoring one another. Neither one of them are happy with the other. Uh, the wife pulls in on her birthday there's no sports car in the driveway, and she is furious. So she goes into the bathroom and just begins to kind of touch up her face, and she sees a little box there in the bathroom, and, uh, and there's a card on it and a little bow. And so she opens it up, and it says, Happy Birthday. Stand on this, and it will go from zero to 180 in under four seconds. It was a scale. Listen, I didn't say he was a smart man. And also, you need to know that funeral services are pending. But isn't that the kind of stuff our anger causes us to do? So why does Jesus call someone we are angry with our adversary? Because in that moment, they are keeping us from getting what we want. Isn't it interesting how the people we hurt the most are those closest to us, the people that we claim to love the most? I mean, the people who birthed us, the people who raised us, the people who hired us, the people we made vows with. 
And James would say, that's easy. You hurt those people the most because they are all in close proximity to you. You hurt them because they are the ones most likely to thwart your desires. That's why you get angry with them the most. So if my desires are so often at the root of my anger, what's the solution? And I'm going to tease this out. I'm going to prove to you that this is true. Um, But I do want you to notice one more thing James says before we go there. Notice one more thing. He says, you do not have because you don't ask God. So what James is saying here is that often we don't have our desires fulfilled because we're going to the wrong people and expecting them to fulfill desires that are only meant for the Lord. Listen, when people say things like this, hey, you complete me or I could never live without you, that's idolatry. Like you're starting, when you start to say things like that, you're beginning to expect things out of that relationship that you should only be expecting out of your relationship with God. Listen, if you need another man or another woman to complete you, you know what you're going to do? You're going to heap all your desires on them. You're going to heap all of your expectations for fulfillment on them. And friends, that's just not fair. It's just not fair. They're not capable of keeping or making you happy. They're not. This is just, this is a huge, huge deal. It's as if God is saying, look, this whole thing could have been avoided if you brought those desires to me instead of somebody that was never capable of fulfilling those desires in the first place. So, Let's just review three critical attitudes every one of us in this room should have towards anger. We should never dismiss it. We should never delay confronting it. And we should never go to third parties, right? And then I want you to look at verse 26, the very last verse that Jesus speaks here. He says, truly I tell you, you will never get out of there, out of prison, out of jail until you have paid the last penny. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's actually telling us that uh, forgiveness is actually in our best interest. That it's, it's, in, it's, it's a way of looking out for ourselves because all of us in the room know if we've been angry with somebody for more than about a day that that's a prison, that that's a cell, right? And I mean, we pay for that. We always pay dearly for that. We always pay the last penny. We always do. That's what our anger extracts from us. Uh, Now, here's what I want to do. I want to get really, really practical about anger and forgiveness. It's that important. And, um, and so uh, in Matthew 18, and we're not going to go there, but I do want you to jot this down as a note. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus talks about anger, and he talks about anger in a very, very specific way. He talks about anger as, um, as uh, like a debt. A debt. And so he talks about forgiveness in, in terms of canceling a debt. And... Uh, 
and I think we recognize this kind of in the way we talk about things like anger and apology. So we, we say things like, I owe you an apology, or let me make it up to me. Said another way, right, I already told you this, we get angry when we think people owe us something. So you owed me respect, but you didn't give it. You owed me love, but you didn't speak it. You know, you owed me happiness, but you didn't deliver. You, whatever, right? And so, yeah, it's, this is, you owe me language. So if anger creates a debt-debtor relationship, what does forgiveness look like? Well, it looks like canceling a debt. You, you cancel the debt you think they owe you. You just cancel it. You forgive it. You look at that person, whether it's figuratively or literally, and you say to them, you don't owe me anything anymore. I have canceled that debt. And this is so profound. This is so profound. So here's how this looks practically in your life. So you're at work and someone takes your idea and they claim it for their own. They, so in that case, they stole the recognition you think you deserved, right? Uh, maybe you grew up in a home where mommy or daddy left, and so they took, maybe they cut your childhood short, or they at least robbed you of the opportunity to grow up in a home without, with both a mom and a dad, right? Maybe uh, your husband or wife left you, and you went through a very, very difficult divorce. Then you would say, they owe me a marriage. I mean, they owe me a big chunk of my life. They took my dream, and they crushed it. So consequently, what anger does is it rises up and it says, they owe you something, right? You owe me. You owe me a reputation. You owe me a childhood. You owe me a marriage. You owe me that promotion. You owe me that raise. You owe me that grade. You get the idea. Now, I just want to remind you of two things that are so important to remember as we're really starting to get at what anger really is. Here's the first one. That person that you're angry with, that person that owes you so much, they can't really pay you back anyway. I mean, that person who took so much from you, they can't pay you back. How do you pay someone back for a marriage? Like, how do you pay someone back for a lost childhood? Like, how do you give someone back their reputation? They can't pay you back anyway. So stop expecting something from them that they are incapable of doing. Instead, you can choose to just cancel the debt. They don't owe you anything anymore. Now, second thing. Forgiveness is what Jesus did for you. He canceled your debt. A debt, by the way, that you nor I were able to pay on our own. We were helpless and hopeless, and Jesus stepped up and he paid the bill. He canceled your debt. He went first. 
Jesus always goes first. Jesus has never asked anything of you, ever, that he hasn't already first demonstrated or done in your own life, ever. You know, and these are the kinds of actions that Jesus says, you know, will change our hearts, will set us free, will make us whole. And if you really want to stretch your imagination for a minute, can we just dream together about what this church would look like if we really took this seriously and lived it? Can you imagine what a draw it would be to people out in our world? Can you imagine? I mean, they'd be scratching their heads. They'd be saying things like, man, I don't believe what those people believe, but man, I want what they have. Like, like I want the kind of relationships I see them engaged in. Because friends, at the very center of not just the kingdom of God, but at the very center of your life is the quality of your relationships. Every command given in the Sermon on the Mount has a relational context because it's about the kingdom of God. You follow? So important. So here's what I'd like to do. I just want to pray for you. Here's specifically who I'm praying for. Anyone that brought anger through the doors with them this morning. And, and I just want to, again, just share this good news. You don't have to keep living that way. There's a better way. And Jesus wants to give that to you. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, life can take its toll on the heart. And one of the responses that we, one of the ways we respond to that is with anger. And so God, would you help us? Would you help us be men and women of conviction in this issue? Would you help us be men and women that would not dismiss our anger? Would you help us be people that would not delay having the candid conversations we have to? And God, would you help us be men and women that would refuse to go to third parties with our anger. Help us always go to those that we are angry with. And God, I just uh, am so grateful for your wisdom. Uh, and God, you want what's best, not only for our relationships, but for our heart. And you want more than just change behavior. You want more for us than just a focus on rules. You want changed and transformed hearts. That stands at the center of your kingdom. And so help us to be those kinds of people. And we ask this. And so, Lord, I just pray for any man or woman that walked in with that anger. I pray that you would give them power. I pray that you would give them uh, the ability to persevere in this and to see it through. I pray that you would do a miracle. God, would you do a miracle, a loving, kind, gracious miracle. And help these men and women lay aside, offer up their anger to you. Would you take it and would you transform it and shape it into something better? I ask in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, so a couple things. So next week, I need to tell you this. Next week, we're going to have what we would call a PG-13, maybe even an R-rated uh, church service. And here's why. Because next week, we're going to talk Jesus. Next, in Jesus' sermon, after he tackles anger, he moves to lust and he moves to divorce. 
And so next week, we're going to talk about lust and divorce. I'm going to do it with great candor. I'm going to be very candid. Um, so if you normally bring your children here with you, uh, say 12 to 13 or younger, unless you want a ton of questions on the way home, you may want to reconsider that um, because we're just going to no, hold, no holds barred. All right, no scenario off limits, uh, because again, we, we have to probe right here, right? This is what this is about. So if you want to protect your children from that, uh, you might want to make other arrangements, make sure they're in the programming offered through our children's ministry. Uh, yeah, just you get the idea, right? So, hey, listen, just begin to pray today about what God may want to do in our hearts in preparation for next week. Little preview. So why is lust wrong? What's the context for the Sermon on the Mount? Relationships, right? When I'm lusting after another woman, do you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting that she's someone made in the image of God and I'm getting, um, I'm getting something from her from body parts. That's what I'm reducing her to. See? See, we have to get away from this idea that, well, Jesus says these things because it's right and wrong. No, Jesus says these things because they're either good or bad for relationships, which are at the center, the epicenter of the kingdom of God. Okay? So let me pray for us one more time, and uh, I'm going to let you out early. You're welcome. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the work that you've begun in our hearts. We offer them up and ask you to continue that work. We ask you to shape and to mold us. And we ask you, I ask you in preparation for next week to continue to do good, good things in our hearts, in our lives, and in our minds because we gathered together. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for worshiping with us today.